This is an elephant speak. Search of Reality Podcast and its host does not necessarily believe in or claim that our guests' opinions and stories are a representation of our own views. The podcast, however, is dedicated to giving people a right to speak and share their stories. The In Search of Reality Podcast and its host may neither agree or disagree with episode content, but does respect the opinions, worldviews, religious ideals, and information that our guests provide. We believe in freedom of speech and a right to an opinion. Hello, folks, and welcome to the show. Today's guest was important to bring on the show because of the current state of the world. Since 2010, he has become the UK's number one fear strategist. He has helped thousands of people transform their deepest fears into their greatest strengths. Author of the Winning in Life and Work series, public speaker, host of the Keith Blake Moore Noble Show, a fascinating and inspirational listen. He is a best-selling author, hypnotist, and a confidence and phobia expert. He's a life coach. His list of credentials goes on and on. Joining us from the UK, Keith Blakemore Noble. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. Thanks, Dylan. How's things with you? Uh, wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, it's good to have you on the show, finally. And, you know, as I had mentioned, you, you have a, a pretty long list of credentials there that, you know, things that you're doing and things that you've done. Yeah, thanks. No, it, it, it is great to, to find it. We've been, we've been talking for a while. It's just taken us a while to get our diaries to coincide. So it's yes. nice, to, nice to finally be here. And uh, yeah, I, listening to you read that list, I was thinking, oh, goodness, yeah, I've done all of those things. You kind of <laughs> tend not to really notice what you're doing when you're, when you're in the midst of doing mm -hmm. it. But when you've been doing it for years, it does kind of, it does kind of mount up, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I usually like to start at the beginning, you know, maybe of people's journeys. You know, the work you're doing is very uplifting and it's as if you're almost on like a mission. How did this all get started for you? Great question. Um, I mean, I've been doing this, what I do now since, since 2010. Before that, uh, I used to work in IT. And the reason for that was growing up, uh, I had all sorts of dreams and ambitions. I wanted to be a performer, I wanted to be a hypnotist, a singer, an author, all those sorts of things. But I was painfully shy. I was really, really shy. I, looking back on it, I now know it was actual, actually social phobia that I had. I was terrified of the thought of speaking with strangers. I mean, there's no way you and I could be uh, having this chat now, Dylan, 
back then because it's like how can I speak with a complete stranger? Oh, no. Um, and um, <clears throat> so, of course, a perfect career. If you if you really don't like meeting strangers, perfect career is IT behind computers all day. Brilliant. Um, and I, I did well, did well in that uh, that career. Ro- rose up the ranks, rose up the ranks. But eventually, you reach the point where it's not what you know, but it's who you know that gets you your next career progression. It's the, it's the contacts that you make, networking, and so on. And of course, when you're terrified of meeting people, that's completely out of the question. So career was kind of stagnating. It, it was things like there'd be loads of uh, seminars and workshops and symposiums and so on with loads of really interesting cutting edge stuff that would be really cool to, to, to learn and, and with lots of great uh, connections in there. But I would read the, uh, read the agenda for them and I'd see that top line, registration and coffee. I could feel that sinking pit in, the, in my stomach, like, oh, man, you mean I've got to spend half an hour speaking with people I've never met before? Actually, I don't think I can meet, I don't think I can make this particular seminar. I'll go to the next one. So it was, it was awful. I kept, kept putting these things off, putting them off. And eventually everything came to a head uh, for me one, one Christmas. I, uh, it was about 11 years ago, so it was kind of just before Facebook was really taking off. And I was in an online community. And we all got to got to know each other, got to know each other quite well from typing behind the, the, the keyboard. And somebody suggested, hey, lots of us live near London, because I lived down south at that point. Lots of us live near London. It's, it's nearly Christmas. Why don't we get together for a Christmas party? Normally, that sort of suggestion, I'd be going, no, I'm, I'm washing my hair that day. I can't make it. <laughs> so I thought, you know what? I know these people. We've been talking for over a year now. How hard can it be? I got there and found out exactly how hard it can be because it's one thing talking with from people chatting via text on the computer keyboard. It's quite another when you actually walk into that room yeah. and it was literally a room full of strangers. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, I had a panic attack. I locked myself in the washroom for about half an hour just, just while I calmed down enough and the heart racing, cold sweats, the lot. Calmed down after about half an hour fled the building i didn't even stop to collect my coat because that would have meant speaking to someone wow that was a shame because that was a really nice jacket i lost the jacket as a result and i just ran i didn't calm down until i was on the train and it was actually pulling out of the station that was the point where she was oh right i can calm down now and i remember thinking you can't go on like this what's life going to be like in 10 years time if you carry on like this it's going to suck right it's going to be awful. You've got to do something. And I, I remember it clearly to this day. That was the moment where I decided I have to do something. And call it luck, coincidence, or call it just being now open to opportunities. There was a personal development seminar in London a few, week, a few weeks later. I went along to it. It was one of those weekend-long things. And obviously, the, it because it was free, obviously their aim is to then sell you into all of their, their training things. And, and that's absolutely fine. That's, 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 that's the way it goes. But I, I was on the, the, the weekend thing and I started to make breakthroughs there and I was seeing the power behind some of the stuff that they were sharing with us. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to take this because they, they were teaching, the, the courses they were selling were teaching NLP and hypnosis coaching. I thought, you know what, I'm going to take every course they've got and I'm going to go through the whole lot and use that to sort myself out. My intention being, I was going to then go back 
back to my normal job in IT, but now being confident, now able to go to all these seminars and so on. Uh, I sorted my own stuff out. Found I really enjoyed what I was doing. Found I was I was really good in the in the during the courses because throughout the courses you you have theoretical work and then you have practical work where you work buddy up with people and you, you work with them and i noticed every time they would say after i'd finished with someone they're going oh you're really good at that and i was sort of saying oh thanks you're not so bad yourself you're really good yourself just thinking this is the sort of thing everyone says to to cheer each other on and so on but after a few weeks i was kind of noticing hmm everyone i work with says it to me i'm noticing they're not saying it to everybody else that they work with Hmm. After I'd finished that, told people what I'd done, I had some friends who would say, oh, that's cool. Can you help me? Can you use that to help me get over my fear of spiders? Can you help me use that to whatever? So yeah, no problem. Did all these things. And they all went, wow, got amazing results. And I started thinking, it might be nice to do something like this, but I've been in IT for 20 years. I've got uh, a well-paid job. I've got the, the lifestyle and the outgoings that go with it, the mortgage and all that. If I jacked that all in, and started being a coach, there's no way I could afford all of that to, to keep everything. I'd lose the house, and I like the house. I worked hard for it, all these things. And then the most magnificent stroke of luck ever. I was called into the office, and my boss said, sorry, Keith, because of the current financial situation, we have to make your position redundant. Basically, here's a wheelbarrow full of cash, never come back. It's like, if ever I was looking for a sign, this was it. And that was the point. It never even occurred to me, oh, okay, let's have a look and see what other IT uh, jobs are around. It was simply, right, okay, I guess I'm starting my own business now. And that's what I've been doing ever since. So that's, wow, that's, that's how I got into all of this. That's impressive. So is there a point that, or an event that you can point to in your life that caused such anxiety and fears? Or is this just something that you've kind of had or progressed as, as you went along in life? That's the interesting thing about about all fears is none of us are ever born scared of anything. As anyone who's had really young children will 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 verify, those kids they're not scared of anything. The parents are nervous wrecks by that point because the kids are all everything. Right. We're not born scared of anything. We have to have a healthy respect for the dangers of our environment instilled into us, and we learn fear. And there are three different ways in which we learn fear. One. We might learn it by having an unpleasant experience. Uh, we do something that really hurts or it's really upsetting or whatever, and we quickly learn, oh, that's a bad thing to do. If it's really bad, there's lots of strong negative emotion because we were terrified or really frightened or really hurt, really upset. That can start to become a phobia because next time we're in a situation which has similar uh, environment, our mind recalls the first time and goes, oh, my word, that was, that was, that was life-threatening. No, whoa, run away, run away. And you, you go into, into full-on panic or, or phobia. Yeah, like fight so that's or flight. one way. <laughs> exactly, fight or flight. Mm. And the interesting thing is, as we grow up, we kind of realize, actually, this thing isn't scary. Let's, let's take spiders, for example, which is a very common fear a lot of people have. As we, as we grow older, we realize it's a tiny thing. It can't hurt us. There's really no reason for me to be afraid but the un the unconscious has already put us on red alert it's prepped us for fight or flight we've got all the adrenaline and everything mm -hmm. flooding through our body which is why we're hyperventilating and the heart's pounding the cold sweat you can't logic yourself out of that 
because your unconscious already kicked you into that mode. And it takes a while for all those things to dissipate, even if it were to stop there and then. Right. So once you're in a once you're in a, a phobic response, you can't sort of go, ah, this this makes no sense. I'm going to stop being scared. It's irrational. We 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 know it's irrational, but it just doesn't doesn't stop. So that's one way we can learn it. Second way is by observation, especially when we're young. For example, if we see a parent always freaks out every time they see a mouse, we very quickly learn, oh, that thing is scary. Because it terrifies my parents. And when we're really young, our parents are gods. Mm -hmm. And if something freaks them out, oh, it must be bad. So we learn from other people's behavior. So that's the second way we learn fears and and phobias. Uh, uh, Talk about phobias. A phobia is just an intense, irrational fear of something that can't hurt us. It's it's kind of an extreme end of of, Mm -hmm. of fear. So fears of phobias, the same thing deep down psychologically. And the third way we learn it is we get taught it explicitly. Now, there are four words which I'm willing to bet pretty much every single one of your listeners has had said to them when they were growing up. And they'll have had these words said to them many, many times. Don't talk to strangers. How often do we say that to our our kids, right? And here's the thing. When we say it to them, it's absolutely vital. It really does save lives and it is in their best interests. But here's the thing. When was the last time somebody said to you, hey, Dylan, you know what? You're big enough. You're old enough. You know how to look after yourself. It's okay to talk to strangers. They never say that. Right. So we never kind of get that permission. Plus, when we hear don't talk to strangers over and over and over and over again, it really builds it up. Plus, often our parents have got a lot of anxiety and fear when they're instilling this in us because obviously they know what could happen. And they are very emotionally invested in our well-being. So some of that fear comes through. So although they're saying, don't talk to strangers, it kind of comes across as, don't you dare talk to strangers, because if you talk to a stranger, they will kill you to death. And mommy and daddy will be really upset. It'll all be your fault because you spoke to a stranger. It's like, right. oh, I'm never going to speak to a stranger ever again. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just one example. But that's, mm-hmm. that's how we get, that's the three ways in which we can learn how to, to be scared of something. So in, in my cases, I had, I had three phobias that turned out, turned out three phobias Woo-hoo! completely conquered, conquered all three of them mm-hmm. one was heights one was spiders and the big one was social phobia right. and in each of those in each of those cases i, I did kind of pinpoint the the thing that that, that made me that, that taught me how to be scared of that um <clears throat> i didn't really know what it was until i i, I went through the stuff to, to get rid of the fears but it's it's Sometimes it's really interesting. And all three of them happened when I was really young. So the program you used was able to help you overcome and master your fear. But was there some other, like you had mentioned, you know, you had to pinpoint, was was there some like self-taught things in there as well? Or just as far as mastering your phobias? Yeah. So the interesting thing with, with phobias is you can get over them really quickly. The, the fastest I've ever had a client conquer their phobia was under 10 minutes. That is the exception. It's not the rule. Normally, we take, we take a session, a three-quarter of an hour to an hour. This, this one person, they nailed it in, in, in 10 minutes. Because what, what we do with, with, um, with phobias is that generally the way, you would, or the way that I help people conquer them is we go back 
to observe the first event. We don't kind of actually go and go through the event and experience it with all the fears and the tears and everything, because that, that just doesn't help anyone. But we kind of almost observe it like a, like a third party, as if we're watching it on a, on, a, on a cinema screen. And we kind of replay it in various different ways, making it sillier and sillier and more and more absurd. Because by doing this backwards and forwards quickly over and over and over, what we do is we actually change the way in which the mind stores the memory of that mm-hmm. event. So instead of remembering something really, really scary and terrifying, we actually, our memory is now something that's quite funny in, in, in a way. And it's, it's, it's absurd and it's silly. Because whenever we go into a situation, our mind will always check back to see, have we, have we encountered this sort of thing before? If so, what did we do then? Because that's what we'll do this time. Because right. we don't want to have to work it out for first. Like a learned behavior. Exactly. So when we've when we've done that change, next time we're in, we see a spider, for example, or next time we're up high, or, or whatever it was. Our mind goes back to that very first event, which it's now seeing in as as something that was quite funny or, or absurd or daft. So we don't get any of those negative emotions, which already puts us in a far better place to be able to then deal effectively with it. So that that's kind of the the, the crux of it overwrite the emotion that's there then put in whatever other resources and and abilities you need to be able to to handle that situation and the reason that works is a very interesting thing about memory when you remember an event you are not recalling that event you are recalling the last the most recent time you remembered that event because when we remember something it actually wipes out that store in our memory. And we then store that memory again as we're Mm -hmm. remembering it. Mm -hmm. Which means if you change some things as you're remembering it, they get stored with the original memory. They get stored with the memory. And we we believe that's the original thing. That's interesting. This is why, yeah, this this is why eyewitness testimony is so unreliable. Because it's so, so easy to kind of get your get your story a little bit mixed up or, or kind of get confused. Now, do you, do you remember the, the, the accused coming out? Yeah. Do you remember which hand they were holding the gun? Oh, I, I, it must have been their right hand. You didn't remember them rem- uh, carrying a gun originally, but now they're asking you, which hand was he holding the gun in? Oh, oh, it was, it was the right hand. So mm-hmm. now your memory is saying, yeah, they were, they were holding the gun in their right hand, even though they'd not been holding mm-hmm. it at all. Right. So memory is... Whenever we remember something, all we're doing is remembering the last time we remembered it, uh, which is why it gets distorted over time. And if you keep remembering something and, and changing as you're remembering it, it, it really does get rid of all of that. Uh, yeah, so you're also a practicing magician. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's good fun magic. Um, I kind of got into it by, by accident more than anything else. Um, I, I use hypnosis, NLP and hypnosis for, to, to help people coach. Yeah. I watched some videos. I'm going to talk about that here in a few. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Nice. Exciting. Um, and with hypnosis, when you do stage hypnosis to entertain people, it's exactly the same tools you're doing. You're doing exactly the same thing. The only difference is the intention with, um, coaching hypnosis. The intention is to help them make a change with entertainment hypnosis. The intention is to help them to entertain the audience for a few minutes and for everybody to have a good laugh. Mm-hmm. But it's the same tools. So as I mentioned earlier on that I always wanted to be a performer. 
because now I've got rid of my social phobia and, and, and everything. Hey, bring on a stage. I'm there. I love it. And I started uh, doing um, uh, hypnosis for entertainment as well, just as, just as kind of a sideline, which is good fun. Done quite a few charity galas for that. Uh, always raises, raises uh, good money for local, local charities and so on. And I also started doing, uh, hang it, with a few other hypnosis, hypnotist friends of mine, we, we started doing street hypnosis, where basically you're just in the street and it's, hey, sir, would you like to be hypnotized? And you, you walk up to someone and say that, there's like, uh, get me out of here, whoosh, and run off. Because it, it's quite a big thing to, to, mm. to hypnotize someone. I kind of figured, we need, need to, I need some kind of hook to, to get their attention and to build up a little bit of trust so that they realize, actually, this guy isn't a complete psycho. He's okay. Let's have a bit of fun here. And what better way to, to kind of engage someone, to entertain them, than to walk up and say, hey, do you want to see a, a trick? Pick a, pick a card, any card, because people know what to do. People, lots of people love magic tricks. And if somebody's saying, pick a card, you know what to do. Hey, I'm going to pick a card. Oh, cool. So it's really comfortable. The idea being, do some magic. Then if they enjoyed that and they seemed responsive, hey, do you want to see something really cool? And you can then do one of the things that checks how susceptible they are to hypnosis and they're still having fun. If they go through all of that, hey, do you want to see something really cool? You've heard of hypnosis, right? Do you want to experience it? And get them in which meant i had to learn magic um uh when i was growing up there was one magician above all who was really popular on british uh, television he was a very popular really good magician his name was paul daniels i'm not sure if you've heard mm -hmm. of him over yeah um unfortunately he's no longer with us he died a few years back but uh he was always a massive hero of mine and through various contacts and circumstances and connections i managed to <clears throat> we managed to get to spend a little time with paul personally having him personally teach me uh magic and it, it wasn't a case of right here's here's some tricks here's, here's how you do some tricks which is what so many do he actually taught kind of how magic magic works in other words when you get a trick, figure out how it works. Figure out how you can change it, make it bigger, make it smaller, adjust things. What's going on? Why does it work? So you really kind of break it down. Do that with all the tricks that you learn. And after a while, you start to be able to create your own. You start to be able to mix and match ones. You start to be able to create ones impromptu on, on the fly, which was the most invaluable piece that I've ever learned in magic. I mean, I studied various various magicians over the years and various courses and so on but that stuff that, that paul taught was um, uh, really really helpful we were due to get together about a year later uh unfortunately he fell ill and, and, and passed mm -hmm. away um mm -hmm. but that that's kind of how i really got started in magic most of what i do is card magic simply because it, it's so easy you, you, you need no props, no preparation, just deck of cards. Everybody knows what a deck of cards is. Nobody's going, right. oh, <laughs> deck of cards, pick a card from uh, shuffle it, you shuffle it here, pick a card, right? There was your ace of spades. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> and you so, can have lots, lots of fun with people, with people with that. I was going to say, and so if you stop somebody in the street, hey, do you want to see something cool? Hey, pick a card, do a couple of tricks. You've then kind of got their attention. They kind of get to at least like you a little bit, trust you a bit. And you can then figure out, is it worth going on and trying some of the hypnosis? If it's not, then simply, hey, well, I hope you enjoyed the tricks. Uh, I'm not going to monopolize your time. I'll let you get on about your way. I want to hang out with these people over here. Right. So it's a really good way of incorporating 
and, and actually getting to connect with people. So speaking of hypnosis, I watched some videos where you were able to hypnotize some people. The one had four people on the stage at the same time, and you were able to get them to like do things like play instruments and even yeah. even fall asleep uh, through suggestion. Uh, that's that's fascinating stuff, man. I, you want to talk a little yeah, bit about that? Sure. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's really really cool and. One of the reasons I love doing uh, hypnosis shows, I, I do them slightly different from a lot um, of the, I mean, I've seen, I've seen a lot of, of hypnotists who they go for the, the cheap and easy laughs. And it's really easy to get a laugh by just making a fool of somebody on stage. And the audience will laugh. But the thing with that is, yeah, it's easy to do, but the person who's there, they kind of feel a bit bad because the audience are laughing at them. And it's, it, it's kind of not really nice thing to do. What I like to try and do, or what I do instead, is hypnotize the person, give them suggestions for ways to act and so on, set up a scenario, and then let them play out the scenario. They get to have a bit of fun in it. The audience gets to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. The audience are now not laughing at the person. They're laughing at the situation. They're laughing at what's going on. And very often I'll make myself the butt of the joke if it's a particularly evolved sketch so that everybody feels cool about laughing at the hypnotist because, hey, he's, he's being paid to do this. So we laugh at him. That's fine. Um, and the great thing is those people then relax a bit more because they know they're not being made fun of. They know they're actually helping the audience enjoy themselves. They enjoy it. They relax a bit more. So they really mm -hmm. get into it. And the audience feels a bit more comfortable as well because as much as audiences will laugh at someone when you make them make a fool of themselves, they still feel a little bit uncomfortable. But when right. they can see it's all good, good fun and nobody's, nobody's being picked on, it's the situations we're laughing at, they can relax more and they enjoy it. And when I finish the shows, what I'll remind people is that, hey, look, we've, we've all had a lot of fun here. I'll get them to, to, to really treat the volunteers as the stars of the show and always make that all of that give a big hand for your, the stars of your show so that they have a, they, they feel really good so they leave the event feeling even better feeling really good i always point out to people just think we've seen for example there's one sketch i do the martian ambassador there's a whole bunch of people one person is the ambassador from mars and they can only speak martian they can't speak english at all hey so within just a few moments you've got somebody who cannot they now can't speak a word of english but they're fluent they believe they're fluent in martian or there's ones where people believe that they're playing musical instruments. Or I have one where I'll get somebody, kind of turn them into a human statue so they just cannot move at all. And then I'll weigh 50 pounds in front of them and say, hey, here, it's yours if you, if you, if you, if you take it. And they're sort of going... <laughs> it's, it's crazy, the power of suggestion when you have exactly. them. Exactly. So it's like, look, if somebody can forget their name, imagine what else they could... If, imagine if they could forget how to do that destructive habit. Or if somebody's unable to move, even when there's 50 pounds in it for them, imagine what else, what other mastery they can have over their body. And we did this in just a few minutes. Just think what you can do in a full session. So it's, it's showing people, it, getting people to have a good laugh. I always leave people feeling a little bit happy, a little bit more confident, kind of help them get over some of their, some of their stuff. Sometimes people will actually get over some fears as, mm -hmm. as part of the show. And I always leave people going, Ah, there is a serious side to this. It is safe. It's good fun. And there's a serious side that, that really does work. Because when you've had somebody up there, that one time I had a, had a, a bloke, a big bloke, he's a, a laborer. I got him to forget what his name was. 
And then I got him to be convinced his name was Ethel. And he was, he, he knew for certain his name was Ethel. And he would argue with anybody who's, who said anything different. It's like, you can have that level of mastery over your own mind. Imagine what else you can do. So it really helps people see that, yeah, there's a lot of fun. And there's a serious side to it. And it's all perfectly safe because, of course, by the, at the end of it, everything's back to normal. The guy obviously remembered what his real name was. The person who was the statue was able to walk again. Right. The Martian ambassador could speak fluent English again. So again, it's also showing, look, nothing here. If you, if you don't want to do something, you're not going to do it. If you want to go back to how you were, you can go back. You are always in control. All right. Nice. Yeah. If you guys need to check out some of his videos, good stuff. Can we talk about your winning in life and work series? Sure. Yeah. That's, so that's a series of uh, four books, winning in life and work. Um, the approach I took with each of those was that I got together various experts in, in different fields and got each of them to write like a 20 or 30 page chapter. So it's, it's a decent, decent amount of content. Um, distilling a part of their expertise. Now, each of the books has a theme. The first book, which was kind of a, an experiment to see if this, this whole thing would work. So the first book simply called it Volume One, which was, if anything, it was a sign to me that, hey, look, this isn't the only book you're going to do here, so remember there will be others. <laughs> there were no plans to do a second one. In fact, when I finished the first one, I, I remember saying to myself, never again i'm not doing that ever again because it's like it's like herding cats trying to get a dozen different authors all not doing that again but about a year later i was thinking actually it wasn't that bad it was good fun i've learned lessons i'm not going to make those mistakes again and there's a lot of value for for the readers so did the second one and the second one to me was called new beginnings so it's themed all around starting over so for example one person, they had their entire business stolen from them by their business partner overnight, lost everything overnight. How the heck do you start again from that? Or there was one lady went from the Philippines to Australia, knew absolutely nobody. How do you start a new life there? Uh, somebody who lost their partner in a particularly unpleasant way. Mm. How do you start over? So it's, it's helping people to make new beginnings. Third one is success secrets, where it's different people sharing their secrets for, for how to achieve success, how they achieve success, what you can do, do for success. One of the contributors to that is an Olympian who, was, who represented Australia in the Sydney Olympics. Which is, that's quite an interesting read there. And the fourth one is Dare to Dream. It's just kind of encouraging people to, to dare to have those dreams and, and, and to really go for it. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's that series of books. I think there's about 50 different authors across the, across the four books. Um, each each volume is standalone, or you could read all of them together that's, with whatever works. It's interesting. Have you had any memorable people talking about the books and inspirational things that maybe have, have helped them? Any kind of stories that you can share with that? Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I tend not to hear that much from um, from from readers of the book. Um, <clears throat> I think generally people like kind of read the book and then when, when they make that, make the changes, like, well, I don't really want to admit I had that kind of, mm. and that they, they just, just, just get on focusing on, on doing it. But I have, I have seen, um, a few people who've, who've 
who've drawn comfort from from some of the things that have that have happened in there. I, I there was one person who um, they they lost a business and they they lived in Brazil and they lost lost a business and they were kind of thinking, I might just give up. What's the point? Just give up on everything. A friend of theirs happened to lend them a copy of the book because it's it's international. It's everywhere. And it was New Beginnings was the, the, the book that they read. And they said, oh, yeah, all right, I'll read it. And they kind of thought, well, I'll just dip into one chapter to see what it's about. And they ended up reading, reading the whole book because each, each chapter is self-contained, but each one is, is an individual story. So it's, it's, it's quite engaging. It's, it's <clears throat> long enough to give you some good content and advice and tips and really get you thinking, but short enough that it stays interesting and you don't right. get bogged down. And last I heard, a couple of years ago, they'd um, not only gone out and launched a new business, but they, they were doing, doing rather well. They were actually reaching the point of looking to sell that business and go and start up another one. Very good. Was, that was really, really nice to hear. Really nice to hear. Can we talk a bit about your radio show, the types of guests, and maybe some of the topics that you, you discuss? Oh, yeah. So the show I have at the moment, uh, the Keith Platemore Noble radio show, because why not? <laughs> that actually evolved. Uh, I used to do, because I was crazy back then and didn't know any better, two or three years ago, I used to do two different radio shows, two different shows a week. That's I a lot. Ridiculous. That's a lot. It seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> One was called Winning in Life and Work, which was based around the premise of, of the book. Uh, a lot of the guests that I had on there were authors were the authors from the book, so we got to talk about their topics. Some of them were other people who were sharing what they'd learned about winning in life and work. Now, that was quite an interesting one. It was a self-contained one, but that, that kind of that kind of ran ran its length, and it, it made sense to to stop it when we did. Partly because doing two one-hour shows a week is ludicrous. A lot of work, yeah. <laughs> the other one I called the Confidence Alchemist Radio Show because at that point. I hadn't quite twigged that fear is where it's all at. I was still thinking it was confidence. And I was, some were, were solo episodes, some were getting people on to, to talk about their experiences with confidence. And it was, it was kind of okay. But again, trying to do the two shows a week was, was a nightmare. So I stopped those. I had a break for uh, a few months. Thought, do I really, really want to do this? And then figured, basically learned it's always about learning from our mistakes, really, isn't it? <laughs> and I kind of took what worked from those two shows and what didn't work. One thing that didn't work is doing two shows a week. So it's <laughs> right. There's going to be one single show. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's bad enough if you're doing two shows a week of the same show. But when you've got two different shows for different audiences, different guests, you're promoting them differently. It's oh, a nightmare. So it's like, it's going to be one single show. Uh, decided to do it around about the 20 to 30 minute mark because... I found a lot of people were enjoyed listening to podcasts on their commute. If you're like 20 or 30 minutes yes. on a commute or, yes. or you're, you're kind of chilling out for a bit, an hour for the, the kind of ones that I was doing, an hour was, was quite a lot of time for them to take out. It's like, oh, I'll get around to that. But whereas the shorter ones, like, oh, yeah, I'll listen to that. And then maybe they listen to a few. Uh, so I took those. And the, the idea is it's a mixture. Some episodes are, are just me. I say just me. Hey, it's me. You know what I mean? Some episodes are solo episodes. And we're talking about different things about fear or exploring. A popular one was busting myths around hypnosis 
or looking at what NLP is, looking at all these things. But somewhere I bring in guests, and it's not so much, I'm not really looking for guests who are saying, oh, here's how I help people conquer fears. But I'm looking for guests who, are, who have overcome their own fears, for example, or who uh, have something interesting to talk about around fear. One, I think my favorite episode was I brought on uh, a guy called, um, uh, sorry, Paul Phipps-Williams. And he is an author. He specializes in, in writing uh, horror. And so we did an episode that went out on Halloween, which was basically exploring why do we love to be terrified out of our wits in fiction, where in reality we'll do anything to avoid being scared. What's going on there? Right. That, was, that was a really interesting one. It is interesting. I want to get him back for next Halloween. Okay, so can you share some of that um, reasons into why maybe people enjoy being scared through fiction? Yeah, the, the, the conclusion we kind of came to was that by being scared in fiction, you get that little bit of excitement, that nervousness, that, that, that kind of edge. And you get the, the safety from knowing actually it's safe, nothing is going to happen to me. But you still get that, that kind of the nervousness, the excitement, the, the bit of the adrenaline that's going. And the reason that works is that um, the unconscious mind can't tell the difference between reality and imagine. So if you imagine something really scary, as far as your unconscious mind is concerned, you have the same response as you would if you were actually in that scary situation. So you get all of the, uh, all of the, the thrill of the adrenaline and, and, and so on. Right. And you have the safety of knowing, actually, but I am safe. Nothing, nothing is going to happen to me. And at the end of it, I can go, oh, that was fun. So we, we kind of figured that's probably the reason why people, people enjoy it. And people are just weird. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. What are some of the things that people can do to help reduce their fears in the current state of the world? I've noticed, you know, just with the recent things in the news, and there's just a lot of fear going on. Things, what, are, what are some things that maybe people can do to help ease that? Yeah, uh, and you're right, particularly at the moment with, with the, the situation with the virus and everything that, that's going on at the moment, there is a lot of, of, of fear around. I think perhaps one of the, the most important things uh, one can do, particularly for, for the, this sort of stuff, is to be a bit more careful about what you listen to, by which I mean... If you, if you go looking for any particular viewpoint, you will find it. You'll find somebody, somebody who will support absolutely any viewpoint. So it's, uh, there's no point in sort of just going, oh, I read such and such on Facebook. Therefore, oh, oh let's panic. Because you can read absolutely every possible thing somebody will suggest it, whether it's true or, or not. So kind of um, get a bit more clear about who, who are your trusted sources. What, why is it that you trust them and, and get clear about that? And also, don't take anything anyone says as being absolutely true. Right. Kind of uh, verify it. So hear what they say and, and just kind of check and verify. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if and, and the more kind of the more out there, the more outlandish, the more extreme uh, a position somebody's presenting kind of the more you need to, to just to double check is this actually true yeah um and 
ultimately, I, I suppose very few of us will ever know a hundred percent what uh, of what's the truth is for want of a better word but there's there tends but, to be motives and the way that they spin things sometimes exactly huh? yes yeah so look at what what is this person saying where's the evidence to, to to back that up and also is there kind of an agenda behind that right and don't look too deeply for an agenda because you can find an agenda behind absolutely anything but it's kind of like it does does it does what they're saying make sense? Does the evidence generally tend to to support it? And another a, a very big clue is if somebody makes a, makes a position and you ask them what's the what's the what's the rationale behind it, what's the evidence to support it? If they then start kind of blustering and go, oh, do your own research, it's like, okay, so you don't actually have the evidence to support it, okay. I'll hear what you say, but I'll place lower emphasis on it mm-hmm. until I see evidence to support it. Because if you've, if you have got strong evidence for your position, then it's it's you're more likely to to, to offer that to someone. I mean, if if I were to say to you, well, any, it's, I don't, I can't think of anything anything at all I might say now. But if I were to say something to you, and I would, and you asked for, well, how does that work, or where did you get that from? Mm-hmm. And then offer the the research to back it up or the evidence to back it up, then you're more likely to go, okay, yeah, that's, that seems reasonable. I can see where, where you got from. Mm-hmm. So that can be a really good way to help reduce a lot of the fear that's going. Just realize that a lot. Yes, there are a lot of people with a lot of agendas. A lot of people have a lot of fears. A lot of people make stuff up. Sometimes deliberately, sometimes just because it's they find it comforting to to believe that things are this way. Because if they were that way, that would be even scarier. So a lot of there's a lot of different different opinions around. Kind of try and find out what what's some basically some evidence to to, to back it up, and also <clears throat> excuse me, be open to the fact that nobody knows everything. Things will change. Um, and just because, say, um, medical experts say this at uh, the start of the start of the year, and they say something slightly different later mm-hmm. on, doesn't mean oh they're always wrong. What it means was they've now seen, huh? What we thought was this actually turns out to be that. It's changed some, yeah. If you see new evidence, there's nothing wrong with changing your your position. That's right. I think it's important to stay open minded about things like that. I, I remember um, a quote. Be flexible. Yeah, I remember a quote. Uh, I saw an interview. Somebody was interviewing His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and they were talking about a Buddhism and, and all these sorts of things. And the interviewer said to him, "Okay, what would you do if science came up with evidence which disproved one of the fundamental beliefs of, of Buddhism? What would you do if science came up with to disprove that?" And the Dalai Lama looked slightly puzzled and said, "My, we we, we would change our beliefs." Why? What, what do you expect us to do? We change our beliefs to fit the new evidence. Of course we would. It's like, yeah. If yeah. you keep an open mind, and just because someone's position may change doesn't necessarily mean they're wrong or that they, they don't know what they're doing. It just may, might mean they've now got a little bit clearer about mm-hmm. it or there's some more information that, that, that's come, come across. That's great advice. Can you talk about the four sites? I seen on your website. Oh, <clears throat> foresight. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. There is a networking organization that I um, take part in quite a bit in, in the UK, although they're now expanding globally because it's now all online, which, which makes so much difference. Um, 
and as part of their their meeting so that the organization is called Ford networking and so they kind of theme everything around the number four and as as is common with a lot of network uh, network meetings from lots of different organizations they have a section in their meeting where somebody comes and does a talk on a, on a topic it's not a sales pitch it's a talk presentation about something interesting sharing some some insight or whatever <clears throat> and they call that uh, foresight uh, and I live up in the northeast of Scotland fairly remote from most of the rest of the country really my nearest physical network meeting used to be about an eight hour round trip by car which is a Ooh. long way to go for, for a meeting so I never actually got to attend any of the physical meetings but when they went online it's so much easier you can join the meetings just from, from Zoom. So I've really dived in, uh, take part in lots of the meetings, and I now have uh, my foresight tour. So I've got three different, three different talks that I, that I, I take around um, and speak at usually two to three different meetings uh, a week, and those are the foresights. Uh, so um, I'm having having a lot of fun sharing sharing the the, the content with them. It's three mm -hmm. very different ones. Having a lot of fun sharing the content. It's also great to get because you get the instant dynamic feedback from people there. We often have a a sort of short group discussion afterwards. It's right. really interesting to see how things evolve. And in fact, as a result of that, the first foresight that I did because of the feedback that I've had from it and, and requests from people, I'm now actually turning that into a book which is coming out in September. So that's, that's going to be interesting. <laughs> what's, the t what's the title? The title is The Masks We Wear. And interesting. Yeah. So it's all about the, the masks that we pretty much all wear throughout our lives without even realizing it. So it talks about what they are, where they come from, the dangers of wearing them, the advantages of not wearing them, and how we can get rid of them. Oh, that sounds like a fascinating read. <laughs> thinking about the exact timing this is coming out it's not about physical masks that we wear to prevent right, right, <laughs> it's right. about the metaphorical masks right that we wear. timing is either couldn't be better or couldn't be worse <laughs> sounds like a fascinating read though thank you <clears throat> i'm looking forward to that one um so you you public speak all over the all over the world right i've, I've seen that you've how how's that been affected by the, all this? Are are you still have do you still have um, some arrangements as far as public speaking, or is everything kind of on hold right now? Right now, pretty much everything's on hold. All events and all that sort of thing have 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 dropped. Uh, that's another reason I'm I'm really really dived into the online networking because I get uh, at least getting to do two or three talks a week, even if they're only 20 minutes at a time, right. you still get to develop them, get to develop new ideas and, and just, just keep, keep the skills going. So mm. yeah, the rest of the moment's on hold. It will be interesting to see how things pan out. Um, I know lots of organizations are starting to look more at the idea of virtual events um, because they're, they're kind of starting, A, they're starting to realize maybe this stuff isn't going to go away over, over the summer like we all thought it would. Right. It's, is going to carry on plus lots of people are, are really starting to see the, the advantages and the benefits of the online way of, of, of doing things yeah there's definitely definitely some advantages uh, definitely more cost effective right a lot more cost effective you can uh, uh, appeal to a far wider wider audience mm -hmm. there, there are downsides obviously mm -hmm. as with everything and 
in a lot of cases, I, I can see there'll, there'll be a lot, a, a lot more virtual virtual summits and, and conferences and so on. Yeah, the technology is definitely there, and there's plenty of platforms to share it on. Absolutely. I mean, God, can you imagine if this had happened in the '80s rather than now? It would be a very, very different, uh, different, different yeah, affair. whole different, whole different thing. Yeah. So you just seem. Where does this inspiration come from? I mean, you're you're kind of you're. It seems like you're just driven to to help people and to, to, to spread the message and to, to change people's, you know, fears and just to help people's lives. Where, where is this? It's like a, it's a calling for you, isn't it? Yeah, I guess, I guess it's kind of because I spent the first 40 years of my life terrified of speaking with people. And I know a, I know how horrible life can be when you, when you, when you have a phobia that just doesn't let you do what you want to do. And I know how quickly you can change that. I also know how amazingly different life can be once you have got, got over that. So I think that's probably where it comes from. Having gone through that myself, it's like, if I can, if I can help stop other people spending their life in fear, why, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I do, do that? I kind of wish somebody had, had offered me this 20 years ago. Interesting. Well, Keith, it's been a fascinating interview. Where can we find you in the wonderful work that you're doing? Thank you very much. I, I've I've thoroughly enjoyed this, Dylan. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The, you can find me online. Online, obviously. Uh, <laughs> um, perhaps the best place is if you go to my website, which is keithblakemorenoble.com, and you'll find more detail about, about the various facets of, of how I work and what I do. Or if you're on social media, I'm on most of the social, the main social media platforms as Keith Blake Noble. And fortunately, I seem to be the only person in the world with this name, which makes it a little easier to find me. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Great stuff. Hey, thanks for being on the show, Keith. My absolute pleasure, John. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. That's it for the show, Reality Searchers. I hope you enjoyed. And I'll leave you with a quote. This is a tweet from the tiny Buddha. The biggest communication problem is we don't listen to understand, we listen to reply.